0: shouldn't expect creativity to pay your bills like you shouldn't be asking that of your creativity because if you do you're putting so much pressure on it and you just it it can't fucking do that it's gonna let you down you're gonna let it down it's just not gonna be able to flourish
1: this is a show about creative people and their creative practices it's your weekly reminder that you are not alone in figuring out how to do the creative work that matters to you welcome to the used key i'm your host ray kess shine when the light grows dim. One, one, two, two, three, four, three, two, one. This season we're talking about money and today I have the pleasure and privilege of speaking with Vanessa Vicaria. Hi Vanessa. Hi.
0: I have folks introduce themselves. Will you introduce yourself? Okay well that's a lot of pressure. We should have discussed this before. <laughs> um, hello I'm Vanessa. Um, how much am I supposed to say? Whatever you want to say.
1: However you want to show up in this moment is wonderful.
0: Okay. I'm Vanessa. I own a math tutoring studio whose entire goal it is to change stereotypes around gender and mathematics. I'm still in love with Keanu Reeves. It's been about 20 years now. And I'm in a rock band called Goodnight Sunrise. And I also am a podcast host of a podcast called Math Therapy, where I help adults dig through their math trauma because the truth is we all have it. So real. And what are your pronouns? My pronouns are she, her. Thank you. So, as you know, we're going to be talking about creative work and money. You know that I've never been asked my pronouns? This is the first time actually in my life. I just really, really? Didn't know what to say. I was like, she, her. And then I read yours and they're she, they. And I was like, shit.
1: <laughs> are we allowed to swear on this? Yeah. Okay. I have a book. Sh- I have a book on my shelf that says cunt. <laughs> okay, okay.
0: No, but like I realize I've never been. Do you think that's weird that really? I've never been asked? Well, Actually, yeah. I think I've been asked in written form. I don't think anyone's mm. ever asked me in a uh, verbal audio auditory form. So thank you for asking.
1: Yeah, of course. So as you know, we're going to be talking about creative work and money before we get there. I would love to know a little bit about how money shaped your childhood.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That's actually a great question. And Good thing you asked because I was just doing a workshop on manifesting money, but not in a abundance like la 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 way in an actual way of realizing your relationship with money. And it wasn't actually about manifesting more money. It was about Mm. realizing what your relationship was with money and how to understand what you actually need and want versus a feeling guilty about what you need and want, or b just constantly thinking you need more. So it was actually a very down to earth, like good workshop. But in this, there was a lot of journaling and one of them was exploring my childhood relationship with money. And actually, so my parents are like lovely, great people, but my dad is like an immigrant. He's from India. And I think he always has, you know, like what I call immigrant mentality with money is like, you came here with 20 bucks and like, you want to save every single penny So that was very much my entire childhood. Like it was like literally, you know, and even to now, like he just has that mentality. So I did definitely grow up with scarcity mentality around money, like the fear that I would run out. But I think it was more that like I was always interested in making enough money that I wouldn't have to be like that. Like that was really it. Like I, I really like. From a very young age, like the second I could get a job, I had a job when I was like twelve, de- like you know, delivering papers. And when I was younger, when I was like ten, me and my friends like would make potions at our house and try to sell them door to door. Like we are always like, like I like to say entrepreneurial because that is the creative side. But it really did come from a like, well, I want to start making my own money so I don't have to worry about like you know have a meltdown because I didn't bring my own bag to no frills and now have to spend five cents.
1: Hmm, that's real. So what does your creative practice look like now?
0: Well, I'd say, you know, I've always had a creative practice, whether I knew it or not. So it's like changed from like, you know, I used to love to paint and write poetry and now I'm in a band. So I write songs and I would call that probably my primary creative practice is like, I've been in a band for 10 years. So, you know, we perform, we tour, we write music, we make music, we perform music, we listen to music. So very much revolving around music and performance. That would be what I think I would tap into as my current creative practice, like the, you know, the primary one in my life. Mm. And how does money influence that practice? So it's really interesting because we do not make any money. We, like, I mean, we, we have had a negative balance sheet since day one. And I think the way money impacts it really is that, you know, the members of my band, we all have other jobs that are our sources of income. And I actually heard I read um, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Have you read that? Okay, so have- she says in it. She says in it at one point she says you should not. I can't remember the quote, but she's like, you shouldn't expect creativity to pay your bills. Like you shouldn't be asking that of your creativity because if you do, you're putting so much pressure on it, and you just it, it can't fucking do that. It's gonna let you down. You're gonna let it down. It's just not gonna be able to flourish. And it's funny because like, you know, David who founded the band with me, it's our band. He's like, okay, we need this band to make money. We want to be a working band. We want to be able to not have our other jobs. And I'm kind of like, yeah, I guess like that would be cool, obviously, because it would be great to be able to focus more on music. But I feel like I'm really glad that it's not. I'm glad that we have the means to be in the band, to focus on the art, to not worry about the money because we have a way to pay our bills. Like so. I think like the way, again, like this goes back to my childhood though, like if we're getting all therapeutic, like I just want to have enough money that I don't have to worry about that and I can do what I want to do. So I'm glad I have, I run my own business, like a math tutoring business where I make money. And that means that with my art, I can just like do it and not worry so much about like it bringing home the, bringing home the bacon. Do people say that? I don't know. Whatever. That seems like a thing. (laughs) That's like a Canadian thing to say. Is it? Okay. I don't know. (laughs) We like bacon.
1: (laughs) yeah, I really respect and appreciate that because I think especially in the culture at large, there can be such a pressure to be like, "Oh, your creative work only becomes valid once you make money off of it. And it's like, no,
0: I' well, think that yeah, like I mean that's absurd to me. We right? all know if you read anything about anything that like most artists struggled for a very long time before making money and their work was very much valid. so
1: exactly. So, as you and I both know, money is never just about money. What other things influence your ability to support your creative practice financially or otherwise?
0: I think probably really like for sure the biggest one is time. So like carving out space and time. You know, creativity sometimes comes in bursts when I'm really busy in the middle of something and like a song lyric pops in my head. But to really like hone in and I think get the most out of my creativity, I prefer to be like for a week, all I'm doing is this, or like during these hours of the day, all I'm doing is that. So yeah, time. And then physical space, like I definitely work better somewhere that's like not cluttered or that, you know, there's candles around or crystals or whatever it is. Like those are two things that are really, really important to my practice.
1: Mm. So winding back the clock a little bit, what is the most creative way that you've made money? Whether creative in, you know, creative as we think of it as a traditional thing, or just, you know, ingenious or clever.
0: I mean, I guess in a way, I would say that my actual business, the math guru is creative. Like that's, I feel like that was a, that is a creative way money, like to think of a spin on tutoring that no one else has. So I would say like, that's probably like big picture, the most creative way I have made and do make money. Yeah. And your business is like thriving, no? it is pretty thriving and there is a lot of creativity that goes into it. Like I do all the branding and the design and definitely the space is all like, you know, incense and candles. And there's, I would say it's a very creative business. So when people hear like math tutoring, they're like, uh, like not creative, but you wouldn't, you know, as soon as you meet any of our tutors or walk into the space, you're kind of like, Oh my God, like, wow. Like never thought that creativity and math could intersect, but here we are. So
1: yeah. And then on the flip side of that coin, what's the most creative or creativity killing way that you've made money?
0: Well, okay. I mean, if we were like digging into my past, like I've had like at least 40 jobs. So I'm sure I can dig up a job that was not so creative, but I mean, I feel like there's creative elements to everything I've done. Like I remember once I worked at this like meat packing plant and my job was like, very like mathy, like I was like a spreadsheet, you know, like I just worked on spreadsheets. But even in that, there was creativity. Like I had to come up with cool systems to color code things. And like, I'm trying to think of those. Okay, no, you know, well, okay. So definitely I would say telemarketing might be the creativity killer. I did telemarket when I was younger and that fucking sucked. But I did also get creative because I was like, this is so boring. I have to make it fun. And I would spend like a lot of time with people on the phone thinking of weird questions to ask. But that might've been like a low point in terms of creativity. Like just, you know, like monotonous kind of work where everyone's hanging up on you didn't feel like great. I didn't last very long at that. Mm, I don't know anyone who has. Yeah, it's, wow, like what, that's not a great job. No, but kudos to you
1: for like making the best of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I got fired because I spent like an hour on the phone with someone from Alberta and they were like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're not selling the Toronto Star this way.
1: So, as you just talked about, you're not able to support yourself financially through your creative practice, specifically as far as your music goes.
0: Not yet. No. And how do you, I
1: would just love to know a little bit more about like how you sort of hold that in relationship with the other work that you do with your
0: long-term goals. Like what sort of, how does, how does it all come together? I mean, perhaps I'm in a fortunate situation where I really like everything I do. So I'm certainly not like, not that there's anything wrong with this, but I'm not the like classic stereotype of the like, yeah, I'm just like working as a waitress to like pay my bills or waiter, sorry, working as a waiter to pay my bills. And I can't wait to like get out of this dump and like, that's not it. Like I love all of the work I do. Like everything I'm doing, I love. So I think it's interesting what you said before, like the idea that like our art isn't validated unless there's money tied to it. And I think that's definitely a trope in the music industry because people always say, like, my goal is to be a working band. And a working band means, like by definition, that you make enough money that you can quit your day job. Right. Like that's just kind of how we so that's not what a successful band would be to me. Like a successful band is me playing the shows I want and like making the music I want and having fans and stuff like that and the truth is I went on a deep dive and watched this crazy documentary on was it Lou Pearlman whoever founded all those boy bands whoever Mm -hmm. did the whatever and in fact though like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys were fucking broke for like a decade at the very beginning of their career and like they certainly were what we would call successful so yeah I don't know if I answered your question or just ranted and started talking about boy bands, but whatever. (laughs) You should actually watch that. It's actually fucking crazy, this documentary.
1: I will. I think, no, it's true though. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons I love talking to creative people about money is because it is what we see and our expectations of what we see mean, what what that means in terms of numbers, as far as like what someone is making or what a group is making is like not the same thing at all. And it's... There's a great book. It's like a series of essays by a writer, an American writer, and it's called I Don't Want to Die Poor. And so he talks about taking out a bunch of student loans. And I mean, their student loan system is so crazy. But essentially, he was like getting gigs on national television, but like couldn't pay rent, you know? And it
0: was like, people are it's like, What about like YouTubers all the time, too, right? Like a lot of, and especially as you like get famous, like you're, pay, oh my God, oh my God, you know what you need to watch to talk, to talk about perceptions of money? The Paris Hilton documentary. Oh, okay. So mental because she's like going on like the entire documentary. Like, people in her life are like, Paris, like, you're not doing well. You need to stop working. And she's like, I just care about money too much. Like, I can't stop until I make a hundred million dollars. And like Paris Hilton has this idea that she's not making enough money, which is like, A, that's a mind fuck. But B, you can, I'm kind of like, how do you not have a hundred million dollars? But it's because when you see her lifestyle, Her lifestyle probably costs like a hundred grand a day. I'm not even kidding. Like the amount of people she has working for her, like her standards, whatever. Anyways, it's, it is interesting because she's like such a, like, she's kind of like, there's no like joy in anything she does, but you see her and you're like, her life is so glamorous and crazy, but her, she's so focused on being like, I just need to make a hundred million dollars. I just need to make, like, it's really, I don't know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. As an aside, so when I was teaching in, uh, yoga in Toronto, it was like a really formative because I was at OCAD and I was, I was working like 80 hours a week. It was insane, but I was teaching yoga and I was teaching yoga in a downtown studio. And I mean, who practices in those studios, like doctor, lawyer, dentist, like really, you know, it's not cheap. And like, they were, they had addiction problems. They had marriage problems. Like they were like, I was like, and so it was really formative for me. Cause like the, you know, I was at that age where people are like, what are you going to do with your life? Like, what's your career? And I was like, well, I don't know, because I, I, I spend a lot of time around these people who checked all of the right boxes and they're right. miserable. So like the fact that you're now looking at me to be like, what do you want to be? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to go travel. Cause like following this path to success yeah. is like, doesn't seem like a very happy end point. And I mean, thankfully, like in the time I was there, a lot of those people like sorted themselves out and realized what they actually cared about and whatnot, but or what it was actually important, but very, yeah. Money for money's sake is like a dead end. Yeah.
0: That's why this workshop I did was so cool. Cause so it was kind of like, hold on. Like, why are you so obsessed with like a hundred million dollars? Is that actually like based on anything? Like, what is that based right. on?
1: You know? I'm thinking to an interview with a guy who I think he was an investor, but he essentially talks about, you know, he's like, if you talk to any super wealthy person who like does not need to work anymore, like they couldn't spend all their money if they tried. He's like, they'll tell you that the most important thing is time. Yeah. He was an investor. Cause he was like, when he's like, vetting a company to decide if he wants to invest in it. He's like, the thing I'm looking for is whether or not I like the CEO, because I'm going to have to spend time with this person. And he's like, that's a resource. I don't get back. Like whatever I might, the company might fold. It might not be as successful as I hoped. Like, fine. Like, again, I've got so much money. It won't even matter, but I don't want to spend an hour with someone I don't like. Right. You know, and I think it's like, we can embrace that wherever we are in our financial trajectory to be like, are you happy? Are you healthy? Are you doing things that make you feel like a good person? Like, yeah. So what do you wish you had known about money earlier on in your creative practice and or life?
0: Well, I actually had my birth chart read a couple of weeks ago for my first time. Oh my God. It was so cool. Have you ever done that? No, oh and my I, god, it's literally life changing. Like, well, okay, that's a bit much, but it was really cool. Like, I was like, I don't know how cool is this gonna be, but it was really, really cool. Um, and he said that because of the position of something, 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 I can't remember, but he was like, You actually never have to worry about money, and I was like, Oh, and he was like, Yeah, so just stop worrying about it, you'll always have enough, like, you're fine. So, wish I'd known that that would have been cool, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then, I don't know, I feel like I was never, I mean, aside from being like having a weird lack mentality and scarcity mentality around money, I was never scared of being like poor. I'm very lucky. Like I, you know, my my parents are fine and they took good care of us and they saved and they're responsible. And I never wanted to be super rich. So like, I've never been like, I need more, 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 more. So I don't know what I... I feel like I wish I had known, I'm trying to think about it. Like, I don't want to say anything that's not true because I like, you know, knowing that I'll never have to worry about money or that like, I'll always have enough, like none of those things are guaranteed. So Mm. I don't want to know a lie. Right. (laughs) What about in terms of like managing money or
1: like making certain financial decisions?
0: Well, I mean, I guess I wish I'd known that the compound interest rule is actually true. and. Fuck, really fucked that one up. Uh, so yeah, like, I mean, we should all, anyone listening to this, if the younger you are, literally the more money you make by like not just a little bit, by like a fucking lot, if you just invest early and save money and don't take it out. I mean, if you end up talking to Bruce Salary, that is the one thing he'll tell you. Like, yeah, I did have savings and I just took them out. Like I could be a millionaire right now if I hadn't done that. So yes, I think this is a hard one because most people feel a bit anxious around math. So don't worry if you don't understand the whole compound interest thing, just know that the earlier you start saving money, it does not matter how little it will pay off so hugely. You have no idea. Like literally the difference between starting to save when you're 25 and 30 could make a million dollars of difference. Like it actually could. So that is, you know, my parents really did tell me that multiple times and I did not listen. So that's It's funny you say that because you're not the
1: first person on this (laughs)
0: podcast to say that. They're like compound interest, (laughs) Wish I had known. (laughs) It's a blessing and a curse though. So, you know, like the good news is it's not too late. Never too late. It's never too late. You got to start where you are.
1: Yeah. Well, that was, I I just finished reading a book called The Psychology of Money. And uh, he talks about Warren Buffett, who started investing when he was 11. Mm -hmm. And so his whole thing is like, people are often like, oh, he's like so, like he's considered the best investor of our age or time, whatever, in the world. I don't know anything about him. Like, what is the deal? Oh, so he's just like a really successful investor, like stupidly wealthy person. But people credit him with being like a smart investor when really his investment portfolio isn't that much more remarkable than anyone else's thing. It's just he's been doing it for like, God, he's got to be in his 70s or 80s now. So he's been doing it for like 60 years. So essentially this guy was like, yeah, if you started investing when you were 11, you would also probably be as rich as him. Like it's not That's really a thing.
0: A, it's a time thing, not a like smarts thing. It really is a time thing. I remember I was saving money when I was younger. Like, what did I do with it? I probably took it all out and spent it. I have to ask my parents about this actually. Shake it up,
1: stop when the clock hits 13. You've been working, final question for you. And then I will open the floor and anything else you want to talk about, talk about what we can talk about. What advice do you have for other creatives who are trying to figure out how to make money and, or how to use money and do creative work?
0: I think this is like a two prong thing. So the first thing I will reiterate what my Elizabeth Gilbert advice was, because I think it actually is really, really important. I would say like Elizabeth Gilbert says, like, she did not quit her day job until Eat, Pray, Love. So she had published, like, I think up to not, I think nine or 11 books by that point. And that was the final book. And like, we all know that was like a crazy massive bestseller. And it took that for her to finally quit her day job. So I would say like, yeah, maybe just don't make that the goal. Like I, I would say, don't make that the goal, but I would also say, I can't remember where, which self-help books this one came from. Oh, it's Rachel Hollis. Mm, sorry guys, but the some, she has some good advice. And this was one of it. She was saying that if you want to make money, the, one of the easiest and most like satisfying or like least stressful ways to make money is at things you're good at, like at skills you have. So not trying to like do something you're not comfortable with. this doesn't mean don't learn new skills, but like you might actually be sitting on a gold mine. So like tap into the skills you already have. Like, so let's say you are a creative, you're an artist and you're like just schlubbing it out, being like, fuck, I just want to make music in my band or whatever. You might have some skills that are actually more like apt for money-making. Like for example, co-writing or songwriting with other artists, or maybe you're really good at production. Maybe you're really good at guitar and you can be a session player and make money on the side. Like I would tap into how you can make money that doesn't like depend on your creativity. So like- you know, not being like, fuck, we have to write a radio single. Like the next song we need to write is going to be a radio single because that for sure is just not going to be fun. It's going to hamper your songwriting process. Like nothing really good ever comes out of that when you put that kind of pressure on your art. So number one, don't expect your art to make money for you. And two, use skills you already have in order to make the money you need to support your art. I love that. And
1: I love what you said about like, you know, doing session writing, like sort of Like, look around the edges because it is sometimes those like pillars of like, oh, being a touring musician is like the goal. But it's like, actually, that industry is like way more complex and there's like way more opportunities to make money. And that might be something that happens, but also like, it's not the only way to like be a part of that.
0: That's exactly it. Yeah. Or like, maybe you're really great at the business side, like, go manage another band. Like, maybe, like, yeah, I think there's lots of like cool stuff you can do that doesn't make you feel like, Oh, I'm so drained at my day job that I can't even be creative. Cause that's a shitty feeling too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Do you know the artist LP? No. So she's, uh, she does kind of like rootsy pop rock kind of thing, but she, um, I heard her on a podcast and that's what she talked about. She was like a songwriter for like Justin Bieber and Miley Cyrus and like For like a year. And she was kind of like, this is cool. Like, I can pay my bills. Like, I like writing songs. I'm good at it. And then I don't even know what happened, but somehow, and anyway, she ended up becoming a performing musician. But it was just such a good story because she was totally not, not that there's anything wrong with expecting that or wanting that, but she was kind of like, this is okay. Like, this is creatively satisfying. It is financially satisfying. And like, that's enough. And it's, you know, now that I'm a touring musician, like, that's also cool, but like, not. It's not really, it's
0: not really that different. Yeah. And that's what Sia did. Like Sia literally just was a songwriter for like a decade. Like that's the other cool thing, I guess, about doing it that way is you don't know what opportunities might come up that you're like, I actually like doing this more or like you're songwriting and you become friends with all of these artists. And they're like, actually, we love you. Come tour with us. You know what I mean? Like there's so many like cool things that can happen from that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Just being in the room, right? Like, I think it's so powerful just to like, you know, Mm -hmm. do that whatever job that isn't maybe the job you want to be doing long-term but is like puts you in touch with people is huge
0: yeah I feel like for so many of the arts right it's who you know and it's like yeah. who's in with this and that and like there's so much collaboration in the artistic community too that it's like if you're in the room maybe you're asked to collaborate on something like you know what I mean like there's a lot of stuff that can come from that yeah like those communities are always communities right they're pretty tight-knit and everyone knows everyone so mm-hmm. so is there anything else you want to talk about when it comes to money and creative work um, I feel like you covered a great range of questions and topics. Um, definitely made me think I'm definitely calling my parents and asking them about like my savings account from when I was 30. <laughs> Where did that money go? <laughs> okay, I am. Like, Guys, something does not add up here. Um, they're going to be like, you spent <laughs> it all at like Le Chateau. Um, Claire's. <laughs> uh, I think I'm good. Do you have anything else? No, I think that's everything. Claire, Claire's
1: gone. I think so. I think so. I can't tell you the last time I was like in a shopping mall, but like, I think it's gone now. It might have gotten eaten up by one of the other.
0: I don't know if it's gone. I feel like I was at the youth center like two years ago when I was there. Oh, we're going to have to do some recon. We can check in the show notes, guys. Find (laughs) find out if our Dan has beat Claire's out of a job. I don't even know how much
1: money I've spent at Claire's in my like teeny bopper years.
0: I mean, like all the yin yang paraphernalia. I mean, I don't know. It was a good time.
1: It was so fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now I wear like no jewelry
1: because I get it caught on things.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm like, flash hats are nothing. I don't want metal all over my skin. <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Vanessa. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. Everyone, go spend a buck, make a buck, do whatever with your bucks.
1: The Used Key is hosted and produced by me, Ray Kess. If you have thoughts or questions about this episode that you would like to share, head over to the URL in the show description and let me know what you're thinking about. And just a reminder that money is a really personal topic for all of us. So if you're going to comment on today's show, please do so in a way that is thoughtful and respectful. Thank you for being a part of the conversation and for showing up to do the creative work that matters to you. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay bright.
0: Do so we do it like we do it?